What's happening, everybody? Welcome back. Welcome back to Crossed Up because I feel like with all of these episodes, like when we're going three, four, five times a week, I just feel like we never left, honestly. I know we're now here I all know, the time. Now I know what it's like <laughs> to host a radio show. We're here grinding every day for you. Uh, Phillies win game one against the Arizona Diamondbacks. It probably could have been easier than it was, but it was still a big time opening statement for the Phillies. I'm Bob Wankel. Anthony Sanfilippo's here. Anthony, you covered the game last night. You were there. I was not. I will be there tonight with you uh, doing the one-two punch of crossing broad coverage. I, yeah. I guess, um, you know, I'm going to let you kind of take the lead here and tell me what your big takeaway was from the Phillies 5-3 game one win. They they went imposed their will right off the bat against the, the Diamondbacks, and I think that was important. Because all you heard heard about coming out of Arizona camp is the camp there is that, oh, well, we're prepared for this. We're ready for this. You know, we're not going to be affected by this. And it was like, oh, yeah, watch. And then boom, boom, boom. Three of the first 12 fastballs that Zach Gallon throws in the game, the Phillies put in the, in the seats in the outfield. Yeah. Uh, and it was basically like, yeah, were you prepared for this? Are you ready for this? And, and that was it. To their credit. Arizona did didn't wilt. They did come. They did stick around, and they did make it interesting late in the game. But I think that the biggest takeaway was just that th this team is locked in, man. They just are, and they're not going to let anybody come in and 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 rain on this parade this year. I think that they they want it bad, and you can yeah. see it, you can feel it, you can sense it in everything that they do and everything that they say. And I think that you you just watch it happen. You know, they don't do there are a couple of things that you go, oh, my God, why did they do that? Or oh, that was a bad at bad. Or why did you base run there? I get it. But everything is born out of aggression right now with this team. Like they are out there to basically be killers and just obliterate anybody in their way. And and that's and that's why I think that they're going to win this thing, because they're they just have that feel, that smell of, yeah. a, of a team that's going to be a champion. I just, yeah. I just get that sense. They, ha they certainly have the look and they are in attack mode and they are the aggressors here and they come out and they punch Zach gallon in the mouth immediately last night, Kyle Schwarber, 117.1 miles per hour, 420 feet instantly. It's just like this immediate, Hey, this isn't going to go the way you think it's going to go. And you said it. Arizona did recover. They, to their credit, hung in there. They made it a game late. There were some tense moments, but they definitely were caught off guard at the beginning of that game, and the Phillies used it to their advantage. And I think that to some degree the experience and just where the Phillies are at and the way that they play, I think it really worked to their advantage last night. Zach Wheeler, I, I mean, I know we, we can talk about Schwarber. We can talk about what Bryce Harper is doing, which is just unbelievable like if you look at all these big money guys and i know schwarber's still trying to get going here a little bit but i mean all of these ops's are like well over a thousand they're all contributing that like trey turner last night was two for four he's hitting 500 in the postseason and i feel like he's an afterthought to some degree yeah. because of what castellanos and harper are doing i mean it's it's truly remarkable but for all of the offensive fireworks three more homers zach wheeler like Here's here's a take about Zach Wheeler. His ERA is not an accurate reflection of how well he's pitching, and his ERA is good. It's sub three in the playoffs. But I mean, he has been utterly stingy when it comes to putting base runners on. Like you, you can hardly even reach base against this guy. Three Diamondbacks in six innings last night were on, and again, similar to what we saw in his uh, start against the Braves, two of them scored. You know, like it's it, if you get on, you have a chance to score. That's great, but like nobody's getting on against him. And when you start to look at some of these numbers and what he's been able to do this year and going back to last October in the postseason, we're starting to talk about like historic stuff. Some of the names that he's up there with. I mean, it's wild. Yeah, I mean it's it's next level, Bob. And I I was actually having a date uh, a, d a debate in our. Uh... In our still ongoing crossing broad Slack chat that never that never ends uh, with all of our old colleagues, um, uh, over what it means to be like, does clutch really exist in baseball? Mm -hmm. And 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 I'm sitting there saying, how can you watch what Bryce Harper does 
in October, last year and this year, and not think that clutch exists because it's another level. When you're that level, when you're that kind of player, you are able to bring the game, slow the game down to the point where you can be that dominant and do things that no one else or very few people have ever done in the history of the sport. That's that, that there has to be some kind of gene there, right? I mean, that's not just, you know, oh, hitters can't control when they get hits. I, I, I'm sorry. There's there's something else there that elevates Do you think the that that's part of the player's DNA, or do you think that they just get acclimated and introduced to an environment and into a culture, and then they sort of take on those characteristics? Like, so for instance, like if we're talking about Zach Wheeler, is Zach, has Zach Wheeler always been wired that way or is it that he's in this clubhouse with this manager yeah, and this group and, of guys and they just feed off of one another. right and that's what i was gonna and that's what i was gonna say so you look at a guy like harper i was gonna make the, the comparison right like, look, what harper does at the plate is one thing and then you look at wheeler on the other side and i think it's i think it's a little bit different but i think that so in other words i don't necessarily think it's a it's you know a g maybe for him it's maybe it's not the gene maybe for him it is hey i've become i've I've become part of the fabric of this thing. And, and the mojo that comes out of that leads me to be a more focused pitcher and a better pitcher in these environments. And I think that there have been pitchers like that in the past. When you look at, you know, who some of the greatest postseason pitchers were, I mean, Madison Bumgarner was a good pitcher in the regular yeah. season, but he was, he was untouchable in the postseason, right? You know, I mean, so that, it's not like Madison Bumgarner was a multi-time Cy Young Award winner who was then dominant in the playoffs. He was a good regular season pitcher and he was an all-star pitcher, but he was he was unhittable in the postseason. And I think that that's kind of an environment kind of situation, right? Like you you can be part of that environment, part of that culture, and step up your game to that next level. And I think that Zach Wheeler is that kind of guy. But again, it, it's another path toward being clutch right harper's is genetic wheeler's is probably uh, you know part of the environment but at the same time both bring you to the same conclusion well whatever it is it's unbelievable and what he is doing is is crazy and i you know i started compiling some of the numbers for the newsletter this morning and when you look at him you you have to do a double take like i'm on his baseball reference page going like is this, did I get this right? Uh, let me make sure I have this right. I mean, yeah. last night he gives up the lead all single to Corbin Carroll and he comes out and he gets the next 15 guys. And we talk yeah. about the Phillies hitters and you wrote about this this morning on crossing broad about ambushing uh, Zach Gallen. But like it, it, conversely, I feel like that, that Wheeler had them on their heels early on. Like it was a collective effort of the Arizona diamondbacks just not being ready from the first pitch. Like they just weren't, ready and you know like wheeler when you go into the sixth inning and you see zero 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 across the board like you know you give that offense a, a little bit of time like to, to get going like they just i think that what happened last night and i i, I don't want to get too far ahead because i want to wait a minute to talk about game two but what i wonder is it felt like to me the story of last night was certainly the, the individual players but the rhythm of the game was Arizona wasn't ready at the start. By the end of the game, they figured it out. Did that give them any confidence or anything that they can build on going into game two? Like, you can sit there in the clubhouse after the game, right, and, and say, yeah, all right, like, we got it now. We got acclimated. We, we gave them a little bit of a scare late. We'll go, get, we'll go get game two and split this thing. Like, that's what they have to be telling themselves, whether or not there's any validity to it or not, I don't know. Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. One I was talking with one of the Arizona writers on the way out of the ballpark yesterday, and he was a little perplexed that there in that first inning, you know, Carroll gets that broken bat hit. It was a blue pit, it was a lucky hit, but he got a hit. But that they really didn't play their game at that point. And I know Wheeler's quick to the plate, and we we talked about this a little bit that Wheeler's quick to home and real muto throws out runners really well. The Diamondbacks got to where they are by being a guy, a team that gets those guys on base, runs the bases, gets you, you know, gets the defense moving around, gets creative, and they just didn't do anything. Like they were just, it was almost like they were too tentative in that and at the in that first inning. And I think that that carried over once 
the Phillies started putting up the home runs in the first inning and the second inning. And then the third inning, they got another run on that Harper single. Um, and Lavolo said it last night. He said for him, the killer was actually Romuto's hit that puts the Phillies up five, nothing. He said, he said that was when we kind of felt like, all right, we're we're not, this is, this is the, this is the game. Um, and he said, even though we come back, he says, it's, it's, it's almost like that was probably, I think what you're talking about, Bob, once they realized they're down five, nothing, and and it's the fifth inning or sixth inning, whatever it was, um, fifth inning. Um, it's like, okay, well, we're, we're probably not going to come back in this game. And then they, they, they kind of relaxed and it would, and they kind of eased into it at that point. And then maybe that's how they, so if they're, if the diamondbacks are going to learn anything from the game, it's that don't put pressure on yourself. Right. But how is it easy to not put pressure on yourself when the other team's coming out and attacking you the way the Phillies did? Like if the Phillies get up again, one, nothing, two, nothing tonight in the first inning, like if you're Arizona, are you suddenly going, nah, no worry, no pressure? Or are you or are you or are you pushing again or pressing again like they were? I remember swinging at some bad pitches. It was 15 outs, Bob. Only one of them left the infield. Yeah. And it was a can of corn. Like it was nothing. If it's Wheeler just dominated them. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. And you talk about the real Muto hit, and it's interesting because last night's game took on a similar trajectory to what we saw in game two in the Atlanta series. And yeah. The difference is that they had that one extra hit. They were able to tack on at least a little bit, you know, to get that fourth run, to get that fifth run. If if Real Muto doesn't get that hit, you do wonder what shape does that game ultimately take? And if there's one thing that you want to talk about that's a little bit negative right now about the Phillies, it's like they have this pattern of, with the exception of, I guess, game three against the Braves. Right they've had opportunities to just bury the opposition right away. I mean, like last night, that could have been seven, eight, nothing instantly. They had the opportunity to do that to Strider in game four against the Braves. They did not. They left a ton of runners on base. And it's not even so much like total men left on base or hitting with runners in scoring position, but just contextually, they have these opportunities where you think that yeah. the thing is getting away from the uh, the starting pitcher and they kind of let them off the hook, which is crazy to say. Because he scored five runs and they beat up Zach Gallen. Yeah. Well, let me, I want to ask you a question kind of off of that because I agree with everything you just said. But do you feel like, because there was, there was, there's been this, this has kind of been out there as well since last night. Do you feel like the Phillies were unlucky last night? Because I don't. I don't. I look at all the outs that they made with runners in scoring position and there were two. I'll give them two. You have Schwarber's ground ball that Walker knocks down and throws out Marsh at the plate. Yeah. But you got to remember, I mean, yes, is that ball hit hard? It is. But Christian Walker is the best defensive first baseman in baseball, right? And you hit it right at him. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Is that, un- well, like, is that the, unlucky? The Schwarber at bat is the one that I would probably reference, but there's two different ways to look at that. You're like, well, all right, here's a situation where you got to elevate the baseball and right. you can hit the ball. 72 miles an hour you know you could have 72 mile an hour exit velocity but if you hit it out there 280 feet you get the run run scores he hits the ball 111 on the screws but he doesn't elevate it so like is it bad luck in terms of like the contact that he produced like it is in terms of how hard he hit the ball but he didn't he didn't launch it the way that you need to so right And and he and he gave himself a hard time for that after the game yeah. Like he was, he was mad at himself for that. I mean, you hit a ball 111 miles per hour. Normally, you're like, all right, I got good piece of that. Just bad luck. He didn't. He he right. said that he didn't do the right thing in that at bat. So, like, I think that you're spot on with with the way you just analyze that. And then the other, the only other one that you say maybe, you know, like I said, one maybe two. Alec Bohm had a line drive to shortstop mm-hmm. with Turner on second base. Yeah. It was right at the shortstop. Yeah, it was, I, I, I actually think it was like ninety-five or ninety-six miles per hour, right? And so that's that. But that's it. Other than that, every other time the Phillies had a chance to put runners to score somebody, it was either a weak contact or a strikeout. Yeah, I mean, so let's let's. I, I don't, I don't want to get into that whole. All of, it was bad luck. The Phillies could have had eight, nine runs. Well, yeah, they could have had eight, nine runs if they had a better approach in those at bats. Not that they got unlucky that they didn't yeah. score more runs. No, I'm with you on that. And that's like one little annoying thing that's kind of lurking in the background. But again, like we're talking about a team that's lost a total of one game this postseason. They get a great win at home. They're getting a lot of terrific individual performances. Like how many times did we go through during the regular season and say, well, if they can get 
two or three of these guys rolling all at the same time. Well, guess what? Like they are right now. They are getting that. They're getting a lot of these guys all together contributing. You know, you look at their lineup last night, every single player reached base at least one time. Seven of the nine starters had a hit. Only Bryson Stott and Alec Boehm did not have a hit. And again, I want to kind of file this away. I don't want to bury the lead. I I have a couple more things on Wheeler that I just want to hit on first, but you know, Everyone is kind of contributing here. Um, I do want to talk about the boom stop thing, though, before we get out of here. Just a couple quick things on Zach Wheeler, because like, you know, we you've probably seen if you're on Twitter, the, the, the tweet about how he has the best uh, whip amongst any pitcher in postseason history that's thrown at least 40 innings. He's better than guys like Mariona Rivera. Like, it's crazy, right? But like, you just look at this year. He's 3-0 in the postseason with a 2-3-7 ERA, a .6 three to whip he's a 26 to one strikeout to walk ratio in the postseason right now I mean like that is absurd and then I think about my lifetime and the the big game big time pitchers that I've seen in the playoffs for this franchise and the two that jump off the page at me and I know Roy Halladay threw a no hitter I get that but it's Cliff Lee and it's Kurt Schilling Mm -hmm. so I just went over to their baseball reference pages today I said well what does their what do their whips look like Cliff Lee, 0.93. That's awesome. It's pristine. Kurt Schilling, 0.97. Like, that's that's the stratosphere in which the Zach Wheeler is currently operating here. I'm not telling you that he's a Hall of Famer. I'm not saying that we got to get ready to go to Cooperstown or anything like that. But when you talk about big-time postseason pitchers, Zach Wheeler has to be now in this conversation based on what he's done across the seven or eight starts that he's made the past two Octobers. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's just he's just on another level, Bob. Just really is. I mean, I, I don't know how else to, to describe it. You watch him pitch in a game, and he's he's really locked in, and he gives you his best stuff. Five innings guaranteed. Sixth inning, he usually gets you gets you through it, right? And then after that, it kind of becomes okay. Does he does he peter out a little bit? Maybe, but. It doesn't matter because you when you have the arms that they have behind them, although we could talk about the the dance that the bullpen had to do a little bit last night with Sir Anthony. Um like you feel confident that that's all you need. And so if he's if he's giving you six quality innings every time out with the offense going the way it's going, you're not gonna lose his games. You're just not. And they did to Atlanta, I know, but because they what happened there at the end. For more, he's going to put you in a position to win. He's going to put you in a position to win the game. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, absolutely. He in three NLCS starts, nineteen innings pitched. He's he's put on eight base runners, eight in nineteen innings in the NLCS. It's crazy. Uh, And so you start to map out what this looks like moving forward. And I. It's okay. If I get Wheeler Gallon again in game five, I, I like them there, you know, yeah. and so you dial in on tonight. It really feels like that if they can get this one tonight, this thing might not come back to Philadelphia next week. Like that's where I think you're at tonight. Now we know that the Phillies have this annoying habit. They're seven and zero in game ones They're two and four in game twos in this little postseason run over two years historically speaking, they've been really good in game ones, not game twos. I don't think that anything, I don't think that matters though. Like, I don't think that the, the, what the 08, 9, 10, 11 Phillies did in game two has anything to do with this team. But we've talked about this. We talked about this after the Atlanta game, the game two against the Braves. They have this annoying habit of getting off to this fast start and then saying like, here you go, opponent, get back into the series. So now tonight. Well, let me ask you this question though, Bob. Let me ask you this. Of all those game twos, how many of them have been here? I guess none of them, right? One. Or just the one against the Marlins, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, It's the only one. And so I think that that, it's a thing, but it's a real thing. They're 27 and 11 all-time at Citizens Bank Park in the postseason. How was that that crowd last night? Was that Because one of the things things I thought to myself internally yesterday, and we talked about it on the show, is there going to be that edge for the Diamondbacks? Like, are, like, are we going to be able to get ourselves to a place as a crowd where, like, there's that viciousness that that comes with it? Because it's like, yeah, you're cheering, yeah, you're you're cheering on your team, but like, 
are we going to have that edge for this series? So I guess you were there. Can you just talk to what you experienced? I suppose. So two things. I'll give you two things on this. One, uh, pregame. And it was during the um, uh, introduction of the lineups. I was actually down standing in the crowd, lower level. And, you know, we talk about how loud it is from our perspective in the press box. But we got to, you know, we do have to remember a little bit that we're, we're, we're indoors, right? Three quarters indoors anyway. They got the windows open, but we're inside. And we're, we're back. We're on the second row of the press box. So we're, we're back a little bit from the crowd. And it's loud as hell. Yeah. I went down into the crowd to go see someone that I knew at, at the game. And I couldn't hear myself talking to the guy who was standing right next to me. That's how loud it is down there. So that's number one. And then number two, and I put a tweet out about this, on Harper's single that scored Turner that put them up 4 nothing. that was louder than at any point during the Brave series. That building was insane and then there's somebody put a tweet out i think with the with the decibel level was like at 111 like i mean it was it was remarkably loud yesterday i think the fans are are at the same level and it's so we talked about the team having that feel i think the fans have that feel too i don't think that it matters who the opponent is you know of course i think this fan base would love for the phillies go to the world series and have a chance to get revenge on houston but guess what if it's the texas rangers the fans aren't going to aren't going to be a little bit less. Oh, because sure. it's Texas. Oh, yeah. They're going to be just as fired up, and it's what's the thing. So the energy is there, and it's a it's real, Bob. It's real. It's it, believe it. They are a teammate, and it's it's something that you don't have often in sports. You have it for this. This is a tenth player for the Phillies. It, 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 you know, the Diamondbacks again. They say they're prepared. They say they're prepared. You know, I was talking to a a guy. Uh, again, from Arizona, same guy who said that, you know, was, we were talking about how they were pumping in sound out in Arizona for them to kind of practice. And there's a guy that um, I guess works for that does the some sound stuff for them. And uh, he's saying to them, you got to make it louder. And they're like, no way. it's We can't make it louder. And he's like, I've been there. You've got to make it louder. And he kept telling them they have to make it louder. And he didn't think that they got it loud enough. Like this, this guy who was working the sound thing in Arizona, who's been to Philly's playoff games last year. It's like this self-perpetuating thing now too, where yeah. people are going down there and they're like, "Okay, we have a standard that we have to." Yes, make. we're going to be loud. It, yes. It's not like yeah. right now. It's like fun. It's kind of it's new. I mean, I know they did it last postseason, but it's like the national story. It's like yeah. a supplemental narrative to this whole postseason drive. It's going to eventually, if the Phillies can sustain their success, it's going to take on an annoying quality like the Seattle 12th man, like, you know, where the, you see every broadcast, the decibel meters going up and down. And but Bob, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll tell you that the other thing, like there's things that are happening. And, you know, I, we, I pointed it out to you the other night um, at the, in the uh, clincher against Atlanta. And then more people were doing it yesterday. The Bryson stock yeah. walk up now, right, with the AOK. And not only are they now the now is the entire crowd finishing the verse of the song after it stops, right? So like the music stops and they finish the verse of the song. So that's that's a thing that's kind of carried on since right before the Grand Slam. But now the the uh, the fans putting on their the lights on the flashlights on their phones and waving their arms back and forth every time he comes up. I mean, it's there are a lot of things that are becoming a, that are becoming. Yeah, a standard for for the Phillies fans, and there's that's awesome. It's awesome that that's a thing because it's like you never know what's gonna what's gonna organically come out of something like this. But that's what makes it special. That's what makes it fun. That's what makes it something everybody wants to be a part of. I was actually uh, talking to Tim Kelly of uh, Phillies Nation last week, and he reminded me it was probably right around June, like. I guess Girardi had just gotten fired um, and Bryson Stott started to get more playing time. And I looked at him and I said, you know, I said, with this walk-up song, I have a feeling about this song. Like if, if they are good and they can get into the postseason, like I could see this being a thing. Now I had no idea it was going to turn into, you know, blackout and cell phones and, and <laughs> like where it's heading. But like, I just kind of pictured the crowd more or less like 
singing along with that song as he came to the plate. Yeah. It's kind of cool to see it evolve to that point where it's not just, Hey, we're really loud and we're Philly and we're obnoxious. It's like, there's like nuance to what's happening down there. And it, it, it's, it's really cool to, you know, I'm not a big, like, the networks have to be praying to God that the team a wins this series because of ratings. Like, but if you're major league baseball, you're any, (laughs) any media outlet that has a stake in the outcome and and viewership and interaction with these games. I mean, my God, yes, (laughs) you know, no offense to the Arizona diamondbacks they are a good team. And like, I'm not trying to devalue what they are, but like one team is tremendously compelling the other team is the Arizona Diamondbacks. Yes, so. exactly. You're exactly right. And and to 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 your credit on that story, and you didn't even know this, but um, so last night I ended up sitting next to Tim Kelly after a while. Um, uh, the King left his throne, and so I went and sat. What, what uh, time did the King hang till last night? The, the third the, inning. The King left. Or, yes, it was. It wasn't even in the third inning. I think it was the bottom of the second that the King walks down to me. At, you know, the, our seats got slid down the same row, but we got moved down the first baseline a little bit. Um, we're, we're uh, closer to first base than we were at our home plate. Um, and King walks down to me and he goes, cause so our seats, uh, it's a little inside baseball stuff for the listener, but our seats are right behind the plate and it's usually the King and then us We're the two seats next to Howard. Um, we got pushed down that same row and they, cause they gave two extra seats to the associated press, I guess AP put in for multiple people, but Gelston said, they're only going to have one person. So I don't, he doesn't understand why they gave the AP those seats. So Tim Kelly took one of them. And then once the King got up, I didn't want to sit in the other, I didn't want to sit in the other, some other guy was sitting there by that point. Um, and I, so King comes down and he goes, Hey, uh, if you want to go back to, you know, where you're normally watching the game, he's like, you know, I'm going to go shake hands with a few people uh, down in the, down in the club level. He's just, you can have my seat. And I was like, gee, Howard, thanks. So <laughs> I, I went back to, and I sat with Howard. Well, and, and so and I'll let you finish. But yeah. so anyway, I'm sitting. There, I just want to get why I bring this story up is I'm sitting next to Tim Kelly, and we're talking about the the Stott thing with the with the fans with the light. And he's like, "I got to give Bob credit. He thought of this a year ago." Yeah. <laughs> he, so he brought it up last yeah. night. You didn't even know he brought it up last night, and you just talked about it. So, yeah. but anyway, go ahead. What were you going to say true, about the king? True innovator. Yeah. Uh, I actually like I have a soft spot for Howard. You know, yes. like grow, growing up, I uh I really did not like his program. I just didn't. I, I was like, man, he is such a condescending dick. Uh and I, he might still he might actually be that. Um yeah. but like there's like this an endearing quality about him when you get him in the one-on-one setting. Like yeah, he's actually, good. Yeah. Over the past few seasons, like I've sat next to him for, for a while now, and you know, like I'm not we're not best friends or anything, but we have conversations. He's like asked me like to help him with his phone a couple times. Like, yeah, I actually like, truly do enjoy him, but man, he's funny. Like watching the game next to him, the Phillies could have five runs on the board in the fourth inning of game one of the NLCS. And he's like, this fucking, t- this is a joke. This, <laughs> this is a fucking joke. They're like Howard, like, they're, they're seven the- wins away from a world series. Like, what, what are we talking about? Uh, oh, he's, he's great. I've known him for many, many years. I used to be his producer back in the day at, at WIP. Um, and, and, and yes, I have a soft spot for Howard too. I, it's funny because he hates crossing broad. And crossing broad doesn't Can't do imagine him any, why crossing broad doesn't do him any favors, and yet he likes us. Yeah, yeah, he's <laughs> able to. Kind of, he's, he's able kind to of funny things. Yeah, I mean, quick story. I don't want to turn this into the uh, Howard Eskin segment, but like I, I might have told you this before, but my son was born on opening day, Phillies Rangers, right? And uh, that first homestand, uh, they come back, and I'm sitting in my seat, and he walks up to me and says, "I saw on Twitter that you, uh, you had a son. Like, congratulations! Like, that's really awesome." And uh, I was like, you know what? Like, that's that's pretty nice. Like, there are a lot of other people that follow me on Twitter that were in that press box. They didn't say shit. Howard Eskin right. did. Like, right. and so even like for just little things like that, that yeah, wow. that goes a long way for me. Hey, and you remember, you remember the beginning of the beginning of the season. Not again, not to turn it into the Howard segment, but like I was I was making fun of him for all the different snacks that he would bring because he was he's a mess, right? I mean, he eats popcorn, it goes all over the place, right? So I would make I was making fun of him. And so he started to have food delivered to the press box. <laughs> just so because because he knew I would tweet about it at the beginning yeah. of the year. And so like we started getting Tony Luke's delivered to the press yeah, box nice. and and like pizzas delivered and like everybody and it was all on Howard. Like he was actually buying it. Yeah. He paid for it. And then like everybody in the press box got to eat on for free on Howard. So yeah. 
Good on him. Anyway. Yeah, good on him. Um, (laughs) So one thing I want to do before we just kind of quickly talk about game two and then we can get out of here. But before we do that, I do have two quick, I guess, questions, points uh, that that we can kind of run through here. One, uh, Zach Wheeler comes out after the sixth inning. Did you feel that, I guess, just point blank, was it a good decision? You know, should he have gotten the seventh there? Yes, he should have gotten the seventh. He only had 81 pitches. Um, I know he had just given up the home run to Perdomo, right? So like the, the inning before us, he gives up the hard single and then, the, and then the home run to Perdomo, but the Perdomo home run was, it, I, I call it a wall scraper. It was like a, it was a fly ball that just kept just carrying and carrying. Like at first I thought, yeah, Castellanos might catch this on the track. And then it just, just barely makes it over the wall. So it's not one of those lasers off the bat and you're like, okay. I would have probably given him one more inning so you don't have to go through the song and dance that you'd went through. I mean, with Dominguez not being sharp, throwing a ball away into center field and, you know, getting into trouble. And then Alvarado has to go an inning and a third, right? I mean, that's, you don't like doing up downs with him. And I actually talked to Rob Thompson about that yesterday. I said, he didn't do up downs all season. Then you tried it against the Braves and it didn't work. You had to you had to take him out because he walked a couple guys. What gave you confidence that he was going to be worth doing it again? Like you know, right. to me, it was like, why go back to this if it didn't if it didn't work the first time? And he said, well, because he was throwing strikes. I get, and that's fair. I mean, I thought Alvarado was a really good story last night that kind of got lost in the shuffle. Yeah, it did. It did because he was good and he did throw strikes and he didn't walk anybody. He does give up the one hit, but it was a single to left field with two outs and was able to come back and get the next batter. So like, you know, I, I, I guess it works, Bob. So you can't, you can't criticize yeah, it, it too it much. Does but... work. And, and, you know, you keep hearing, and this is a big part of the, the TBS broadcast last night. It's like, whenever this team gets a lead, Rob Thompson's going to be ultra aggressive with his bullpen. He has all the trust in the world in these guys. And he does. So Rob Thompson yeah. trusts these guys quite a bit. The only thing I'll say about it, like it's not necessarily – removing Wheeler from the game, I probably would have started him in the seventh. It's the rush to get Sir Anthony Dominguez into the game that I, I guess I have an issue with. And I know that he has shown flashes of being that guy again, but he hasn't shown any consistency of being that guy. So I'm in no hurry to say, here you go, Sir Anthony Dominguez, get one of the last nine outs of this game for me. So let me ask you this. I'm going to throw, we're going to throw this back at you because this is kind of an interesting thing that we're on this topic. So before in the inning before in the sixth, he gets Jeff Hoffman up. Yeah. While Wheeler gives when Wheeler gives up the home run. And you're thinking, okay, Wheeler's gonna got if Wheeler gives up another base runner, he's gonna pull him and he's gonna go to Hoffman. Why don't why doesn't he stay with Hoffman for the next inning? Like why is it Dominguez now comes in to start the next inning, start a clean inning? And I and I asked that because you know, we we looked at Hoffman as such as like this guy who was like one of their dudes in the back of the bullpen, you know, um, didn't have he had the one outing against the Braves. That, you know, he gives up the home run um, in game two. They don't go to him in game four. Like when we thought they would, like he was yeah. the one guy that they didn't go to. And again, he gets warming up in the sixth inning of game game one last night and then doesn't ever come into the game. Why is Dominguez back in ahead of Hoffman when is it really, you know, I don't know. So is it, I guess there's two different ways to look at it. The first way would be that they're, they're trying to save him for the absolute most important critical moment. And if it doesn't come about, then okay, fine. I guess is the pro Hoffman way of looking at it. So they're, they're trying to get through a clean inning, the start of an inning with Dominguez, you know, it's still a three run game at that point. Like it's, I guess, but at the same time, like, why not simplify this and say, if we believe in Hoffman more, Hoffman to Alvarado to Kimbrell, you know, right. and seven, eight, there, nine. There it is. My problem with Sir Anthony Dominguez, certainly the error is what led to the run and it kind of lit that inning on fire. I mean, it was a one run inning. It's not like they came back and won the game, but the error was the, was certainly what kind of people will look at in that inning. But for me, it's like you come into the game, you have a three run lead. And what does he do? He walks the leadoff hitter. Yeah. And you're like, come on, man. Like 
that's the the concern that I have with him. It's just this lack of ability to consistently locate. Like, it, I just don't like. I feel like they're playing with fire a little bit. Like, if I'm being honest with you, like we just spent 30 minutes like gassing up the Phillies. Like they're great. The crowd's great. This is a good team. I think they're going to win the World Series. Like, but if we're being like fully objective here, and you start to say like, do I have any concerns? Do I have any concerns about what I'm watching? Like, I do have a little bit of a concern that they're going to go back to him again in a spot where he is unable to locate and turns turns it into a mess. Like, it could have gotten out of hand last night. It didn't, credit to them. But, you know, I am a little bit concerned about that. You, as you should be. Like, these I mean, look, wiped out innings. It's not like these guys are coming in and just, you know, one, two, I, three, one, two, three. I thought he had a really nice performance in game one against Atlanta. But they all did. Right, we didn't we didn't trust that process that that Thompson was doing with the way they used the relievers in Game One against Atlanta. Kind of surprised us a little bit that it occurred as early as it did. But Dominguez had a good Game One there. He had the three strikeouts, okay, in that one yeah. inning, okay. But since then, it's not been every appearance he's had has been kind of like. Eh. A little yeah. bit shakier, a little bit shakier. Right. And that one last night was the most shaky, right, of, of his appearances. And if I'm not mistaken, Bob, and I could be wrong on this, but I was just about to go back through my book and, and, and check. I believe that other than the game two loss to Atlanta, that that was the first earned run that they've given up, the bullpen's given up in the playoffs. Uh, there was that there was that one cheap run that the Marlins got. Okay, so that so two two other so they've only three times in the playoffs so far has the bullpen allowed runs. Well, they didn't allow earn run last night. That that run was well, unearned because yeah, of the error. Yeah, but it's his error. So it's, it's an, his it's, error. But yeah, yeah, and and it's only and I I was actually having a debate with this. It was only an unearned run because the runner gets to third. Yeah, and that's and it's a sack fly. That's the mm -hmm. only reason it's an unearned run. It should have been a double play. I mean, it was a yeah, you know, it was a dead, dead double, double play, play. Yeah. right? So I mean, and it's a but it's his. It's an unearned run, yeah, but it's it's on him. Like he's the reason that the run scored. He walked the guy, and then he threw him through the ball into center field. So that's the reason the run scores. So yeah, I mean, I agree. I think Dominguez Dominguez scares me a little bit. How did you feel about that, Craig Kimbrell, ninth inning? Look, I mean. The walk is the thing that drives me crazy. Yeah. Like, it just really does. And I give Real Muto credit because you, you start to see that the pitches are getting away from him. He calls time. He goes out there to talk to him. And he whatever he says to him, you know, Kimbrell, Kimbrell kind of just nods and goes along with it. Like, I kind of feel like that was a Real Muto, get your shit together, Craig. Let's not <laughs> blow this thing kind of conversation. Yeah. And and it worked after that. It was like they get out of it after that and end the game with the double play. So, um. Yeah, I mean, look, he's another one, but I think bullpens at this time of year are going to have a little bit of that feel. Don't put yourself in the position. Yeah. Like, my 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 one criticism of last night is they left too many runners on base, and, and you let Arizona hang around. They, you should have put the game away earlier. Well, let me let me ask you about I guess the one offensive concern that that people have at this point. Yeah. Listen, Bryson Stott, Bryson Stott is sort of gone under the radar in terms of like catching any criticism. He hits the grand slam against the Marlins. Everyone loves Bryson Stott. He's hitting 208 in the postseason. He has not been great, but yeah. that said, he does have that moment. He did hit that grand slam. That happened, yeah. and there's like this sense that even if the numbers aren't great, you still like you still like having him up. Like he's going to deliver a big hit at some point. Like you just feel like that's his game. Alec Boehm almost knocked in 100 runs this season. Has been probably their best guy with runners in scoring position from start to finish. It has been a rough postseason for Alec Bohm. And you can get away with that when you have all your stars just ripping the way that they are. But he's hitting behind Bryce Harper. And for that reason, I feel like that this needs to get a little bit of attention. Like if I'm at the Arizona Diamondbacks, like and, and I see him behind Harper right now, wh why are we pitching to Bryce Harper? Like, yeah. Why are we even letting this guy have these moments? That's a great question. And, and I mean, you know, I, I don't think that they were managed very well last night, in all honesty. I think that when you look at what Lavolo did, especially when they brought Alvarado in the game, I mean, he burned his one good pinch hitter. 
Um, didn't even get him to, get him to, to the plate. I mean, he he sends. I don't know why you look at taking out Longoria and and then burning Paven Smith just to get Alvarado. I mean, you yeah. have Dominguez who's not good last night. Let Longoria go up against. Let a veteran player go up against a struggling pitcher in that spot. Maybe you get the rally going. And he burns two players to get to to get to a, a bench guy who's six something OPS against Alvarado. Like, yeah. why is that? The, so I don't think that they've been they were managed well. And I agree with you that why would you pitch to Harper when Bohm's not hitting? There were some questions. Somebody asked um, Thompson this pregame last night. Said you thought about switching him and Castellanos because of how well Castellanos is hitting. And Thompson admitted that they thought about it, they talked about it, but they didn't want to move Castellanos because a when a guy's going well, you don't want to move him out of where he's you know don't touch him. He's you know he's hot, but b it extends and ex- extends the lineup, and it really I wouldn't make, touch that. I right. would not touch Nick Castellanos right but now. But can you flip Bohm and Real Muto? No, I would. That I think you could do. Yeah, Real Muto's actually given you some some pretty good at bats this postseason. Yeah, and I, I just think that I, I don't know how much more rope you have on this thing you know like at some point you got to do it i think he's hitting 167 in the playoffs here i think it's probably one of those situations bob where they'll stick with it as long as they're winning yeah and and that you know hope he hits his way out of it and then if they lose a game and he's still not hitting his way out of it then they make the change but i think that i think that while they're going well here they're not going to change anything yeah, I, I, I guess that's fair. I mean, you just hope that, like we talked about with Schwarber, the longer you hang in it, the longer they're in it, you just hope that things sort of correct themselves. And right. for him, he's a guy that has a good approach. He's a guy that can hit 280, 290. Like, you, you kind of expect it to come together at some point. If there's, an, if there's anything to, that you could say is encouraging, it's, 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 it's not a lot to go on. But he did have two balls that he hit hard last night. Um, he, uh, the two last two at bats, he lined out to third, lined out to short. Yeah. So for, for what it's worth, you sit there and say, okay, well, at least he squared them up. Maybe that's a, maybe that's a, the, the first sign that something good is going to come, come out of this. Yeah. And I'm not going to sit here and celebrate a five, four, three double play either, but that one that most major league third basemen are going to make pretty easily, but not a, a terribly easy play to end the game last night no, he did a good right. job not only on sticking it but just to get it going and getting the ball out of the glove like i thought i thought he did a nice job on that so you know if we're gonna say like well here's something to feel good about it's also nice to see that the offensive struggles have not translated into defensive struggles which is something that we have seen with him before so yeah for sure for sure all right um so real quick game two uh i get the sense that you are not terribly worried about merrill kelly in the arizona diamondbacks tonight i'm not I'm not. I think this is another win for the Phillies. I think they go up 2-0. I, I picked them in five, right? So I'm, I'm not going to have them lose game two and expect them to win right. all three games out in Arizona. Um, so I think this is another. I think Nola gives you another really good start tonight. I think he's locked in. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that they jump all over Merrill Kelly again. Too. I, I, if, you can, if you're going to hit Zach Gallon like that, you're going to hit Merrill Kelly like that. Because Gallon's yeah, better than Kelly. I don't have any like massive Merrill Kelly takes. Like I think he's a fine pitcher. He does a nice job. He's like a solid middle of the rotation guy. He was yeah. better at home than he was on the road this season. He had an ERA over four on the road and 15 road starts. Uh, his whip, I think, was like 1-3, so you can get on base against him a little bit. Uh, he gave up 20 home runs and 32 starts this season. Uh, so you, you can get to him with the long ball a little bit. Like there's – not a lot of track record with Phillies hitters against them. That's one thing I will say. If you go in and you look at the individual matchups, not many guys have really had many opportunities against them, let alone success, except for Trey Turner. Nine for 21 against Merrill Kelly in his career has three doubles, six runs batted in. Uh, so might be a player to watch tonight. There is some familiarity there. Yeah. Ultimately, this is more about the Phillies, I think, at this point than it is about the opponent, at least this one. Um, not, I'm not telling you book your World Series plans or yet but i i do think that if the phillies show up and play their game it doesn't really matter at this point i agree i mean i think i said going in when we did the preview episode on prior to the game yesterday i think i said 
the only team that can beat the Phillies is the in this series is the Phillies. I, I just don't think Arizona's got enough. There's a couple of nice players on that team, and and I think they're going to be a good team going forward. But they're not ready for prime time, and the Phillies are. And I think that this is a this is a prime time red light game, and I think that the stars will shine again tonight for the Phils. Well, we will uh, we'll wrap it up there. One thing I will say before we get out of here, though, I do have a I do have one last thing. I just I wanted do. to remind you that I had that. I know that we have a lot of newer listeners, especially since they've made this run, made the run last year. So there probably weren't too many of you sitting around listening to us back in 2018, 2019. You just think about how negative some of these shows were. Some of the things that we said correctly, by the way, they were well warranted, but just it was criticism after criticism after criticism. And it was almost like a therapy session. And now we're sitting here saying, the the Arizona Diamondbacks, the Phillies opponent in the NLCS, isn't ready for prime time. The Phillies are like we've come a long way, man. And, it, and it's funny because and the reason we have come a long way, but the reason is is that I think we identified maybe not the 2018 season as much, but 19 and 20 and 21, we identified that there was enough talent here that should be winning, and it and it wasn't, and so that's why it was so negative because it was like damn it, man, like you guys should be so much better than you are. Well, I think it also helps that they have an adult running baseball operations now. So yeah, yeah. That's yeah, big, I think that that's, that's the, made a, the, a massive difference. A huge difference. Dombrowski is unbelievable at doing at his job. So that, yes, that's the big difference between them. Yeah. Um, All right, hit me with the one last thing. So I'm, I actually want to hit you with two last things, huh, but okay. I but I thought it was kind of like they're both quick. So I thought it would be kind of, uh, kind of interesting. One that kind of came out from the, um, in part, uh, with the Phillies pregame last night and another one that came out from outside of the, the Philadelphia baseball world. So the first thing was someone asked Bryce Harper pregame yesterday. Hey, Bryce, um, you're going to make baseball an Olympic sport again in 2028. What do you think? And he said that his wife texted him that because it was his birthday yesterday. And she said, one of your wishes just came true. What do you think of that? Bryce Harper, five years away, he would be turning 36. Well, I guess in midseason. Um, and then Harper also said that he thinks, and this was his response. This was actually kind of a, a cool thing, and I'm sure somebody wrote about it. I didn't, but I'm sure somebody did. Um, he thinks that Major League Baseball should shut the season down for two weeks to let players play in the Olympics if they want to grow the game. So, A, what do you think about Harper at 36 being on team USA and B having the uh, two weeks out of the season to let major league players play in the Olympics. I'm in, I love it. Um, You know, I I can see it now Bryce Harper with the American flag draped over him and, you know, hitting 480 foot homers off of, you know, somebody from Germany. (laughs) I can see it. Uh, I think it's cool. I like the idea. Like, like let's, let's do it though. Like if you're going to do it, you know, then they should shut it down. Like they they used to with the NHL or I don't know if they still do. Yeah. Um, But you got to start that now. Like if you want the whole big production and to really make it mean something like that, that's not something you decide and, uh, three years from now, four years from now, like you're going to have to bang that drum that this should be a thing. This is what the league should do. This is how we should plan for it. This is how we should address and try to grow the game. Like that's a multi-year effort to, to do that. So I would only want him to play in it if it was an event worthy of of his time or players like, like him, worthy of their time. You know, I wouldn't want to see him just go out there and he's playing in something that nobody cares about. Right. Uh, I agree. I think that they should do it. Um, and I, I've, I always felt like a mid-season version of what we get from the World Baseball Classic would be so much better because pitchers would be kind of at least, you know, ready and, and, and you know, be able to go more than an inning or two uh, than they are in March. So I think you get a little bit better representation of the game. So, like, I, I'm all in favor of it, too. Here's the other thing I wanted to bring up. Did you see... Trevor May on Twitch with his retirement announcement. I did not. I did so, not. So Trevor May um, announced his retirement after an, I believe it was a 10-year major league career, 34 years old. Who's Trevor May? He was a relief pitcher, um, bounced around several teams. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think he was in the Phillies organization. He was. At one point. He yeah. Was. 
um, but was on the Oakland A's and retired. And on the way out the door, after he announced his retirement, absolutely laid into Oakland A's owner, John Fisher, told him to sell the team. That and and like I mean the things that Bob, the things that he said are are were, were just like I've never heard an athlete say that about an owner before in my life. I mean it was it was I'm I'm trying I'm gonna pull up the actual quote because it was fascinating as to as to what he actually said. Um, I'll, I'll buy you 10 seconds here. Yeah. Trevor May in 2012 was actually the uh, Phillies best prospect, according to Baseball America. He was ranked 69th in all of baseball. So what what could have been? They traded him to the uh, – you know how they got rid of him? They traded him to the Twins uh, along with Vance Worley for Ben Revere. Wow. Is that what that yeah. was? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so here's here's the quote. It's, it's, it's There's a couple of them. Sell the team, dude. Sell it, man. Let someone who actually like takes pride in the things they own own something. There's actually people who give a shit about the game. Let them do it. Take mommy and daddy's money somewhere else, dork. And then he said, wait, there's more. If you're going to be a greedy fuck, own it. There's nothing weaker than being afraid of cameras. Do what you're going to do, bro. Whether Whatever. You're a billionaire. They exist. You guys have all the power. You shouldn't have any because you haven't earned any of it. But any, but anyway, whatever. I mean, like I like, I, I like I, you call him a dork. Like that. That's I, I know. That stings. <laughs> that's fascinating, right? I mean, you've ne- I, have you ever heard anything like that where a player? Yeah, absolutely. Was... This is a guy that paid him money. That yeah. paid his contract. <laughs> that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I, I guess Trevor May is transitioning into a uh, career a post-playing career, something media related with with those comments. That'll that'll uh, definitely put him on someone's radar. So, so good. Well, there you go. Well, listen, if you're listening to this before tonight's game, which presumably you are, whatever time you're listening to it, if you're going tonight, you better go now. <laughs> because <laughs> Anthony and I were talking about this before. It might take me, usually I'm in South Jersey. It takes me about 13 minutes from my front door to get to the parking lot. It might take me three hours tonight. So, yeah. 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 Flyers, international soccer. Is it, is it a friendly? Is this what is this? A friendly this, between friendly? Mexico and Mexico and Germany. And uh, someone told exciting. me last night that they could have close to 60,000 people. 60,000. Are the Flyers going to sell out tonight? I, I Normally I would say yes for home opener. Even if they're a bad team, I would tell you that the home opener sells out. And they still might. I just think that you're, you're probably going to miss a couple thousand people who are going to say either, no, I want to watch the Phillies, or B, I don't want to deal with that traffic nightmare. I'll go to another Flyers game. So later. we got between seventy-five and 80,000 people uh, at Wells Fargo and the link, and then add on another 46,000 uh, at Citizens Bank Park. That's fun. That should be good. Plus, anybody who wants to go to Xfinity to watch the game, or anybody who wants to go down there and tailgate that doesn't have a ticket. Yeah, if you it's want to go to 130,000 people, you better, you better walk yeah. there. There's going to be 130,000 people at the complex today. It's going to be nuts. Should be crazy. All right. Well, for Anthony Sanfilippo, I'm Bob Wankel. You can follow Anthony on Twitter at Philly. You can follow me on Twitter at Bob underscore Wankel. You can follow the show account at UpPhillies there as well. Make sure that you check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere that you get your shows and on YouTube as well. And we will talk to you tomorrow morning after game two of the NLCS. Thanks for listening.